Advent, this time that we are celebrating together. I think when you think about Christmas, Christmas is... You can label a word that goes with Christmas. It is often anticipation. The whole, much of the world feels anticipation during Christmas. And, and especially the, the part of the world that we live in. People that, that don't know Jesus at all, people that are not religious at all, they still, there's things about Christmas that brings to them anticipation. Uh, there are, uh, there, you know, when we used to all go to offices to work, I know some people still do that, but there would be these holiday parties that they would do. And so we would anticipate, you know, sometimes at the office things were a little different. Maybe you, uh, you got off work a little early on a particular day, or, uh, you didn't have to come in until later on a particular day, and things were just a little different, and you anticipated that. You may anticipate seeing family that you only get to see certain times of the year. You may anticipate the giving and the receiving of gifts. You may anticipate uh, the going to look at Christmas lights, or if you do Christmas decorations. There are things that all of us, many of us who have participated in Christmas traditions, we anticipate this time of year, and so does the world. When I was a kid, I can remember um, anticipating every year the night that my mom and I would decorate our home. Now, my dad worked evenings. I don't remember any time before I was 11 or 12 my dad being at home when we did Christmas decorations, but we, my mom decorated our house very nicely, and, and I can remember looking forward to that day every year. And my mom, we'd pull the decorations out of the closet, and uh, there was this particular record, it was an album, that she would put on, and it had Christmas music, and she would play that album, and she would make hot chocolate, and she would bake cookies, and then her and I would enjoy those refreshments, and we would decorate the tree. And I have no idea where that tree is now, and most of those ornaments are probably broken, and the lights don't work anymore. But I have the memories of that time with my mom every year when I was a kid. And I would anticipate that. I would look forward to that day uh, when we would have a chance to do that. Why do we as a church pause every year or take this time every year to focus on what we call Advent? And my answer to that question is because I think Advent is a time where we can not only reflect on, but we can talk about the anticipation, the great anticipation that we should have about Christ and His arrival. Because the whole world, again, I say the whole world, most of the world, and but the world that we live in, they're already in this form, this mode of anticipation during this season. And it gives us an opportunity to say, you know, it's great. You know, if you choose to participate in Christmas traditions, if you decorate, if you do those things, if you have family traditions that you do, those are great. But they are a shadow of the greatest anticipation that you should have in your heart about the time that God sent His Son, Jesus, to the earth to rescue people to bring peace, to bring joy. And it's an opportunity for us to talk about that with people. It's an opportunity for us to 
teach that to our children, reflect that in our homes. It's an opportunity for us to take advantage of this atmosphere of anticipation that's already present, but point it to where it actually belongs. The arrival of Jesus. When I talk about how Christ has come to bring peace, a resolution of peace, every one of us really in our lives, I think that's what we're looking for. We want peace. Peace in a biblical sense, when we've talked about it before, we've mentioned peace is not just an absence of conflict, although that's part of it, but peace in the Bible is great blessings. All of us in our lives, we want peace. We may not call it that, but we want to experience in our lives an absence of conflict, and we want blessings. We want joy. We want satisfaction. And Jesus ultimately has come for that purpose, to bring peace. We will not perfectly have it in this life. We know that. As Josh led us in prayer today, we're asking God to heal. We're asking God to restore. We're asking God to comfort. We're asking God to bring reconciliation to relationships. Every single one of those things can be put under the heading of peace. We're asking God for peace. We're asking Him to intervene in our troublesome days and troublesome weeks and troublesome months and give us peace. And God does. He often does that. But we also know that there is a time coming, according to God's Word, when we will live in constant, total, absolute, peace. And there will never again be a time where we experience discomfort or sickness or pain or conflict. And Advent is an opportunity for us to celebrate when Jesus came, when God became man, and give us the hope of peace every day in our lives, and to celebrate the day that is coming where He will return to the earth And He will bring peace with finality. And so, if in this room you have Christmas traditions, you celebrate Christmas in a traditional way, you decorate, you give gifts, you go look at Christmas lights, whatever it may be, thats I I don't think anything wrong with that. As long as we see those things as a shadow of a greater reality. If that's all we focus on, we're off the mark. But when we do those things and we let those things point to this greater reality of the peace and the joy that Jesus brings, so the gift that we give to someone or the gift that we receive that brings us joy in that moment becomes a a shadow that points to the greatest gift where God gave us Christ and we have the opportunity to share the gospel with other people and share that gift with them, then I think Christmas traditions can be wonderful. And if you're someone who you don't celebrate Christmas at all, you don't celebrate with traditional things, and there are many good Christians who do that in their faith, they they don't participate in putting up a tree or looking at Christmas lights. And that too is fine. 
There's no reason for us to divide over those things. But even if we don't celebrate Christmas in a traditional way, we can still have and enjoy a time in which we direct our hearts to anticipate Christ. Where we look back on this incredible moment where God entered His creation as a man. And we can look forward to the time that is coming where He will return again. And that is why we pause every year and we take time to celebrate as a church Advent. We had some gift bags that we gave out last week. There's a few on the back table. If you did not receive one last week, those are just some starter kits that we gave to people that you might begin some Advent traditions in your home, a family worship. If you know of a family that might could use one of those bags that are left and maybe use it as a way for you to start a conversation with them about Advent, about how you celebrate it or what our church is talking about, feel free to take one of those with you today and and give that to them as a gift. Maybe the Lord can use that and do something with it. One of the things we're doing with Advent this year is we're reading through the Gospel of Luke. At least we're encouraging the church to read through the Gospel of Luke. I want to take a moment to exhort you to that. Uh, there are some worship guides on the back table, and Advent worship guides for the year, if you haven't seen one that kind of detail each of the chapters that we're reading. But it's very simple. Whatever the day is, that's the chapter we're reading. So today is December 5th. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 5 today. Some of you maybe haven't started that, or you intended to start it, did not, or you started it but got lost on day two. I am not intending to browbeat anyone into reading Luke this month. I find that guilting people or trying to um, trying to uh, manipulate people into doing things is not helpful at all pastorally. But I want to encourage you and how beneficial I think it would be for all of our church to be reading the same Scripture together this month. And I want to exhort you that if you didn't start this last week, to not have the mindset of, well, it's kind of too late. The first couple of chapters are a little long. So I'm not going to tell you that it won't be some work. But you know what? We often put work into those things that we find to be beneficial. And so I would exhort you today to not just let the fact that you didn't get started last week keep you from reading through Luke this month. I think it would be incredibly beneficial for you to go back and catch up and begin that process today. Maybe to bring your whole family to worship around the gospel, the words of God in the gospel of Luke this month. Maybe discuss it with others. There's a small chat that a few of us who are leaders here have together and uh, there was some sharing back and forth this week about some of the thoughts, the ideas, um, some of the things that we saw in the Gospel of Luke. That was very helpful to me. And I would encourage that there's this great benefit for us as a church to read the same passages of Scripture and talk about it together. And that's why we're trying to do that this week and this month. And in Luke, the interesting thing is we're actually starting with the Christmas story. A lot of times what we do when we have daily Scripture readings in Advent is we, we, we start and we build until we get to the Christmas story. But this year we, it was right away. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. We're, we're reading about the birth of Christ. If you have a Bible, if you would go to Luke chapter 2 for just a moment. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, let me tell you that we'd love to give you a copy of Scripture. 
so that you could have that. Um, that, that be our gift to you today. And so just let us know, let me, let Nick know before you leave today. We'd love to give you a copy. Or if you know of someone who needs a copy of God's Word, uh, you can come and get a copy from us and, and give that to them as a gift. When you get to Luke chapter 2, if you read uh, this past week, you saw someone who is anticipating the arrival of Christ. A man named Simeon. And look in Luke chapter 2, and we're just going to read what we know about this man and his life, beginning in verse 22. Jesus has been born, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Jesus' parents brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Here's this man, Simeon. He is born in a time where God has ceased speaking prophetically. We have the Old Testament with all of these prophets that God had sent to, to speak His Word, but you get to a point in the history of Israel after Malachi, where for several hundred years, God is not sending prophets. He's, he's still speaking through the Old Testament commands, the Old Testament Scriptures, but He's not speaking new things. There's been silence among God's people for centuries, three to four hundred years. And so Simeon is born in that time. And yet, God has done something for this man. He has told him in some way, he has revealed to him in some way that you, Simeon, you won't die until you have seen the Christ. This, this Messiah that all of the Old Testament points to, this Messiah that all of the Old Testament believers and prophets were anticipating. And, and this man has been born in a time where God is no longer he hasn't been speaking prophetically the way that he had for many, many years. And Simeon is told, the Messiah is coming. And you won't see death until you see Christ. And so Simeon is at the temple. Maybe that was where he spent most of his days. Maybe that's where he was all the time. Anticipating, hoping, wondering what it would be like and when this revelation would, would come true. And, and maybe he sometimes doubted. 
The older he's getting, maybe he's doubting whether or not God is actually going to do for him what he said he would do. Maybe he's beginning to doubt whether or not he actually heard from God. But on this day, here comes this young, humble couple. Nothing that stands out about them. But somehow, among all the people in the temple, Simeon is drawn to them. And he sees this baby. And in that moment, he knew this is the Christ. He knew this baby was God's Messiah. And he took the baby in his arms. Now, you know, I can remember when, especially we were young parents and we had Josie and Anna, our firstborn, and I can remember being in this restaurant actually with Allison and we just had Josie and I remember the Josie was crying uncontrollably in this restaurant and we were already kind of embarrassed because she wouldn't stop crying and it was really, really, really quiet. And I remember this older lady coming over and looking at my wife and saying, oh, let me take her for you. And and there was a little bit of that mixture of Allison being, I think, a bit offended. But at the same time, there's this, you're not touching my child. I don't know who you are. You're not touching my baby. And she was polite about it, but... You know, as a parent, that's not really something you're always eager to do, especially a stranger. So I don't know what that exchange looked like, but somehow Simeon walks up and he takes Jesus in his arms and he begins to pray. And his prayer is, God, I get to depart in peace now. The thing that I have anticipated the thing that you have promised me has happened. You told me I would see the Christ and I did. And I get to go in peace. Because my eyes have seen your salvation. The salvation that is this child. That is just picture of Advent. Anticipating the promise of God. And Simeon got to experience that. And we get to experience that through his life by reading this account. And as we go through Luke this month, what we're going to get to see if we participate in these readings is the life of this baby the life of this child who grows up, the salvation of God, His life, His works, His teachings, and how everywhere He went, He was righting what was wrong. He was bringing peace where there was trouble. He was healing people. He was bringing reconciliation. He was bringing comfort. He was giving words of life. And by the time we come to December 24th, by the time, if, if you join with us that evening, by the time we stand in this room and we light candles signifying Christ as the light of the world and we sing together and we worship together on the last day of Advent, we will have read the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, where Christ overcomes death 
by the power of God and promises that same power will be with us. Anyone who believes. Resurrection power to be brought to new life, to be brought back from death, but also the promise of that resurrection power to be in our lives every single day. That every single day we can experience overcoming the world because of the power of Christ that is in us. That is the journey that I'm excited about and that I'm praying that God will bring much fruit out of as we look in His Word together as a church. Kevin said last week when he was preaching, he said that remembrance is a powerful tool, a sincere form of worship and sanctification. And I loved I loved that line. We've talked here before many times about how important it is to remember. How important remembrance is. Throughout the Bible, we see remembrance as a form of worship. Remembering what God has done and thanking Him for it. But we also see remembrance, as Kevin said, as a tool of sanctification because remembrance is what helps you keep going, especially in hard times. When you're going through times of difficulty, it is remembering all the times that God has come through for you in the past and kept His promises to you and brought you peace. It is the remembrance of those things that cause you to keep growing. That was a little bit of a Freudian slip, but it works. It keep growing in the midst of difficulty. And so Advent is about us looking back on what God has done in sending Jesus and fulfilling that promise, not just to Simeon, but to the whole world. And it is that remembrance of what God has done that gives us confidence that God will continue to fulfill His promises in our life. I believe I can say with confidence that in every difficulty you face, you can look for and expect God's deliverance. Now, that deliverance may not always be what you anticipate. may not always come in the form that you anticipate. It may not always come in the time that you anticipate. But I believe every single day of your life when you face difficulty, and you do, that if you look to Christ and His advent, His arrival, I believe that you can expect peace and deliverance in the midst of that difficulty. And I believe that you can expect that one day when He returns, you will experience a final time and a final resolution of every difficulty that you've ever had to live in peace forever. That is why we we chose this verse, if you've noticed in the, the little image that we have, for Advent this year, Joshua 23.14. In Joshua 23.14, Joshua is... He's at the end of his life. And he is at a place where he knows that, that he is not going to continue on uh, any further. And he is speaking to the people. And in, in this particular passage of Scripture... He says, now I'm about to go the way of of all the earth. But He says to them, you know 
in your hearts, you know in your hearts and in your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm about to go the way all the earth goes. I'm about to return to dust, and I know that. And here is what I want you, in particular the leaders of Israel, to know. Here's what I want to charge you with. I want you to remember. I want you to think about how God has never failed in anything that He's promised you. Nothing. And you know that to be true in your heart and your soul. That everything God has said to you, everything God has promised, He has brought to pass. And then after that passage, He exhorts them to remain faithful and to not turn away from God. He uses this remembrance of what God has done to encourage them, keep going. Don't turn away. Don't turn to idols. Because God has kept His promises to you and He will always keep His promises to you. And that is our theme this year for Advent because it is very similar to what Peter is writing about. As we've come to this last chapter of Second Peter, Peter is really kind of mirroring Joshua's heart. He's addressing the church. He knows that he is about to go the way of the earth that he is about to return to dust himself. And so he's encouraging and he's exhorting the church. And one of the things that he's trying to get them to do is to hold on to the promises of God. He's reminded them all the things that God has done for them and he is challenging them and encouraging them, keep believing. In particular, keep believing that Christ is going to come again. Because there were those who had risen among the church who were questioning that reality. Would Christ actually return? Would He actually return? And there were false teachers who were saying He wouldn't. He's not coming back. There's going to be no second advent. So live how you want to live because there won't be a judgment. And Peter's been addressing that. Last week in the text that Kevin covered he addresses those who deliberately overlook the second advent. That's what he says in verse 5. Talking about the false teachers, he said, they deliberately overlook facts about God and how God has intervened in the world in the past in judgment. And now as we get to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he now addresses the church. Not people who are deliberately overlooking God's promises, but people who might take their eyes off of God's promises. Not that they would deliberately say, I don't believe God is going to do what He has said. But they might get distracted and caught up in the world. They might get distracted by the false teachers. They might get distracted by their humanity. They might get distracted by life. They might get distracted by trouble and they begin to take their eyes off the promises of God. And I believe that Peter is trying to do what Joshua was trying to do. 
and that is get the people of God to keep their eyes on the promises of God and hold on to them. Because those things, when we believe in God's promises, they radically change our lives. They radically change how we live. One of the times that we might be most tempted to overlook the reality of the promises of God is when we experience a delay in God moving. When we're expecting God to do something, when we're hoping for God to do something, when we're crying out for God to do something, and we don't feel like we're getting an answer. We don't see, as Josh talked about earlier today, we don't see that hand, His hand moving in our circumstances. When that happens, it is a time in our lives where we're in danger of overlooking the promises of God. Turning our eyes from them. Overlook means literally they're hidden. Where God's promises become hidden from our sight because our focus is somewhere else. Because we began to doubt a little. We began to question a little. We've gotten frustrated a little. We've gotten sorrowful a little. And we start putting our eyes elsewhere. And Peter is addressing that. In verses 8 through 10. If you have one of the worship guides this morning, there's an opportunity to take some notes if you're a note taker. And we're going to start with this life truth. And I'm going to actually do the first part, then we'll come back to the second. When God delays in fulfilling a promise, it is not because He is insufficient or uncaring. I want to pause there for a moment. When God delays in fulfilling a promise, it is not because He is insufficient or uncaring. Now, when I talk about the promises of God, you may in your life have something that you feel like God has told you He is going to do. Simeon had that. So there may be times in your life where you just feel, I feel like God has said that He's going to do this. And it's in line with His Word, and I've received counsel from other Christians that I'm not out of bounds, and I just feel like God is going to do this. But a lot of times, God's promises involve where we're facing difficulty and we just need God to bring peace. We may not even exactly care what He does or how He does it. We just need Him to resolve the situation and give us peace. And that's why I put in parentheses next to fulfilling a promise, bringing a resolution of peace. Because some of you, when I say promise, you may immediately have an idea. Yes, I feel like God has given me an assurance that this is going to happen. But a large part of it may simply be there's areas of your life where you are desperate for peace. And you're not seeing it. And you're not sure why that is. And I believe by the Word of God we can say with assurance that when God is seemingly delaying that resolution of peace, when God is seemingly delaying the things that we talked about today, comfort and healing and reconciliation and help, it's not because He can't 
And it's not because he doesn't care. And I kind of think the theme is the first part of verse 9. Church, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness or as some understand slowness. Here's what I think Peter is saying. Yes, it feels like God is delaying. It seems like He is. He could resolve this. He could bring this promise to pass and He's not. And so, to you, it does feel like it's a delay. But I want you to understand that God isn't delaying the way you understand the world or people in your life delaying doing what they could to help you. He's not slow the way you understand slowness. I have, for several years now, fought the battle of trying to get some type of internet at my house that doesn't feel like it's being churned out like butter. Okay? I have, I have, I have been for five or six years just desperate to, to just want something that's a little bit better than the, you know, high speed dial up. That's what I feel like we have. And so I have, I have contacted our internet company and I have contacted another internet company and I've just, I've went through all of these different things. And late last year, or sometime last year, I got a bead on what I thought was going to be a resolution. And I went and, and I paid this deposit on this particular internet that they're rolling out for rural areas. And when I paid the deposit, it said, you can expect this internet to be delivered to your home by the second half of 2021. So sometime between July and December, you will have this. And so as I'm Passing July and August and September and October, I'm like, it's coming. I mean, I've just got to the end of the year. So last week or two weeks ago, I get an email from them and I see the email coming in. I'm like, yes, this is it. It's shipped. It's on its way. And then I pull up the email and it's really long. And I'm like, this is a lot of words to tell me that my internet is on its way to me. And so I began to read. And what I am reading is them telling me, actually, it's going to be middle of next year before we can deliver this internet. And here's why. And it was a list of all of these things, tragic things that had happened to their company and material and all of this stuff. And I really didn't even read it because I was like, I just don't want your excuses. Peter is saying, that's not how God works. When God makes a promise, when God, when you're asking Him to resolve something and it seems like He's being slow, it's not because He ran into difficulties that He could not perceive happening. It's not because there was some trouble that God could not overcome. It was not because something has happened outside of His control. That's not why God has delayed an answer. And it's not because He doesn't care. It's not because He doesn't love you. It's not because He's not concerned. Let's finish up the life truth. That delay, however, will always be an opportunity for your faith to grow. That delay, while it's not happening because God is insufficient or uncaring, that delay will always present you an opportunity to let your faith grow. Every delay gives you a chance to say, God, I trust you. 
You know what I didn't do when I got to the end of that email? I didn't say, unnamed internet company, I trust what you're saying. I know you're going to deliver. I actually got to the end of it and thought, I might should ask for my money back. I don't know that I'm ever actually going to get this. When God makes a promise, or when we ask God for resolution, it is always an opportunity for us to exercise faith and to say, God, I don't understand why I don't have peace here yet. I don't understand why this promise has not yet come to pass. But God, I trust You. And I'm going to keep following. And I'm going to keep my eyes on You. And I'm going to keep close to You because I know that You're not insufficient to do this. And I know that You love me and care about me. So I'm going to stay close to You. And church, that is when we see our faith bearing much fruit. We want things and we want it immediately. But if God gave us everything and gave it to us immediately, we would never have a reason to have to exercise faith and trust. God often works through delays to help us to grow in our faith. Peter gives two things, two statements that he wants us to understand when we're tempted to think God is slow like we understand slowness. And he says he's not. He gives us two things he wants us to understand. First of all, in your handout, God is not constrained by time. Look at verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, let me just say that I don't believe Peter is giving us a mathematical, a mathematical equation. So I, I, there have been throughout Christian history people that have taken this and they've, they've actually used this to try to figure out when Jesus is coming back based on the fact that one day is like a thousand, uh, one day to God is like a thousand years to us. So it's been two days since Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. And I don't believe that's what Peter is saying at all. He's saying God stands outside of time. Days are significant to us. Years are significant to us. We, we see everything through the reality of time. I can't believe it's been a year since that happened. I can't believe I'm another year older. I can't believe this day is already gone. We see our life that way. God doesn't. God stands outside of time. God is the Lord of time. God created time. God is not constrained by it. So while we see things in a way of time, God, it's been five days since I asked this. God, it's been five years since I prayed this. God stands above that. He's not constrained by time. He doesn't live in that reality the way that we do. He doesn't count things as slow because a certain amount of time has passed the way we do. God sees the beginning from the end. God at this very moment can overlook and see things that happened at the very beginning of creation, just the same as He can look and see the things that are going to happen at the very end of creation. He sees it all and He controls it all. 
And Peter says that very fact means God is not slow the way you think of slowness. Because God is not constrained by time the way that we think about time. And the second thing that Peter tells us is that while God is not constrained by time, in your notes, God acts within time for good purposes. So while time does not affect God at all, God is not growing, He's not maturing, He's not getting weary or tired by the passing of time, it has no effect on Him. While He is above time, God does act within time, and He does so for good purposes. So look at the second part of verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God acts within time for a purpose. God uses the passing of time in our lives for a purpose. He's not being mean or uncaring. He's doing something by allowing a certain amount of time to pass in our lives before He brings about a resolution or before He brings about a promise. And in your notes, what we sometimes feel as a delay is not an actual delay, but God working in time. But what we sometimes feel as a delay, those delays are sometimes for you. God sometimes is delaying. He's working within the time of your life. And He's withholding certain reconciliations, not answering certain prayers in a certain amount of time, and He's doing that for you. Because He is using the passing of time while you're waiting on Him to fulfill that promise or bring about that reconciliation. And He's doing something in your life with that delay. Maybe it's growing your faith. I have found sometimes in my life that God uses a delay to show me that the thing that I was wanting Him to do is actually not what I really wanted Him to do after all. And He uses time to actually change my mind and help me to see that that's not actually the best thing for me. Sometimes He uses that delay so that I can learn more about Him. So I can learn how to pray without ceasing. So I can learn how to keep staying close to Him. We might find sometimes in our lives that we run to Christ, we flee to Him most strongly in the midst of uncertainty and difficulty. And God actually uses times of uncertainty and difficulty to draw us to Himself. Sometimes, though, those delays are for others. Sometimes God is delaying something in our life and it doesn't have anything to do with us. It has something to do with someone else close to us. Someone else in our life. Some other situation or circumstance. God is doing something in them. And so He's delaying a promise to us. Or He's delaying a resolution for us because He's working something in someone else's life. Maybe He's letting them see our faith and how we are sustained in growing in the midst of uncertainty. And He's using that to help them. And that's certainly what He's telling the church here. The church is ready for Christ to return. 
The church wants Jesus to come back. And we want Him to come back now. And it's a good thing to desire that. If we have no desire for Christ to return, that is a sign of something in our hearts that needs to be addressed. But Peter tells the church, I know some of you think God's being slow. I know you think He's being slow in in His second coming, His second advent. But I want you to know what's actually happening right now is the patience of God. Because God is still bringing people into His family. God is still bringing people to know Christ. He wants people to repent. He wants people everywhere to come to know Him. And the moment Jesus returns, that's it. It's judgment. We're not patient with the lost. Not often. We can learn something about God's attitude toward those who don't yet know Him. And not only the lost, but even ourselves. Because notice, He actually says, He's patient toward you. So I think in a way, God is patient toward the whole world. But the you there, He's addressing church. Some of them had doubted. Some of them were questioning. Maybe these false teachers are right. Maybe God is not going to come through. And Peter says, God's delay is giving you time to trust Him and repent. God always has a purpose when He delays. So when you and I experience that, and we will, we will experience delays in God's promises will experience delays in God bringing a reconciliation. We will see it as a delay, but in God's sovereignty, He's above time. And He knows what He is going to do. And He knows the peace He's going to bring. And in Him, it's already done. But He's working in our time and in our lives to bring about that promise or that reconciliation in such a way that it's good for us to wait. And the challenge for you and I is whether or not we trust Him in that, whether or not we believe that. That the Bible says God does not withhold anything good from those who walk uprightly before Him. And can you believe with all of your heart That if something was good for you, the moment it became good for you, you would have it. And the only reason you don't yet see it is because it's not yet become perfectly good for you. That's the challenge before us when we experience a delay. Let's look at verse 10 and close out with some words about the second advent of Jesus. Peter comes back in verse 10 and he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Three things about the second advent of Christ. Number one, it is certain. It is certain. Peter says to the church, I know you feel like God's being slow. I know you feel like 
He's delaying His return. But I want you to know He's doing something right now. He's being patient to let more people come to know Him. But the day of the Lord will come. Period. It will. It is certain. Jesus is going to return. His second advent is assured. Hold on to that. Believe that. Don't let go of that fact. Don't take your eyes off of that. And what we're going to see next week is that reality impacts how we live. It is certain. And secondly, it is imminent. The second advent of Christ is certain and it is imminent. Because see, he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief comes unexpectedly, suddenly, without warning. If you know the thief is coming, then you would prepare. If you knew the moment the thief was going to break into your car or break into your house, you would be waiting on them. Or you'd have the police waiting on them. The advantage that a thief has is that you don't know they're coming. You don't know when they're coming. Peter uses this language to say the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will be unexpected. It will be sudden. Kevin used that language last week. He said we live in the reality that the return of Christ is imminent. That's the way the New Testament addresses the return of Jesus. We have a bit of a disadvantage in that, at least in my generation, we have been somewhat raised up, inundated with a teaching through certain theologies and descriptions of the end times that says the return of Christ is imminent once these signs happen. The return of Christ is imminent once this thing comes to pass. The return of Christ is imminent once you see this in the news. And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the return of Christ is imminent. Period. The things that Jesus said you will see happening in the last days, wars, rumors of wars, famines, have been happening throughout the church age. We live under the understanding that the return of Jesus will be sudden and unexpected even to His church. So live understanding He could return at any moment. I think Kevin did a great job with that last week. That if you live in the mindset that there's certain signs and certain things that have to happen before Christ returns, you relax a little bit. He's going to come someday, but not tomorrow, not today. But when you live with the understanding that it's imminent, His return is imminent, you live differently. With an expectation and anticipation that I need to be ready. And then finally, the second advent of Christ is final. It is final. When He returns, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The word exposed means found by God. 
when Christ returns in His second advent, it's final. There is no opportunity for repentance. There's no chance for mercy. Judgment will come. There will be what I believe the Bible shows us, a transformed heaven and earth, renewed heaven and earth. The old will be burned up and passed away, much like I believe God did in the flood where He brought judgment on the earth and destroyed that creation in judgment, but then He renewed it. God's going to renew all of heavens and the heavens and the earth with finality. And you and I will live in that perfect peace with Him, those of us who know Christ forever. But those who do not know Him will have no opportunity for repentance. Which is why we must live with the patience toward those who don't know Jesus that God has. And if we're patient toward people who don't know Him, that doesn't mean we're just standing back and hoping that they'll come to know Jesus. It means that we will see every trouble, every difficulty, every problem, every sin that they have as coming from one root source. They don't know Christ. And we're patient with them in wanting them to come to believe the gospel the way that we have. And it is a call to us to be patient in a way that we pray for people, we love them, we serve them where possible, we do whatever we can to build a bridge that they might come to know Jesus. And we do nothing to intentionally put a stumbling block in their path. If they stumble over the truth, if they stumble over Christ, many will. But we don't want to do things in such a way that we intentionally put a stumbling block to them. We want to make a way for them to see the patience, the love, and the kindness of Christ that they might be saved. When I ask the worship team if they'll come up, you guys can bring the lights down if you will. We're going to end this morning singing together. Singing about Christ and to Christ. And with an opportunity to pray and respond to God's Word. And if you're one of the prayer partners this morning, if you guys would come up and stand over here to my left. As we say each week when we have this prayer time, the people that are over here to pray for you will pray about anything that you have a need for. Anything going on in your life that you need to pray about and take before the Lord, that's what they're here to do. And so, it doesn't have to be about any one particular thing that we talked about this morning. As, as Nick said earlier, we trust that God is able to, throughout the service, to speak to people where they are and address the needs of their hearts specifically. But I definitely think it is worth us saying on the basis of this Scripture today that if you are in a time where you are waiting on God for something, 
you're waiting on a promise or you're waiting on a reconciliation of an issue, you're waiting on peace, sometimes waiting can be really hard. And God understands that. And He intends to encourage us through His Word to hold on to His promises and not let them go. But He also tells us that sometimes we need to confess to one another. Sometimes we need the additional encouragement and exhortation of other people, other believers, that we can see flesh and bone, and we can hear their voice, and that they can pray for us. And they might be able to use their gifts to give us an encouragement to keep going and to hold on. So if this morning you are struggling in waiting, you are struggling, not a struggle that's leading you away from the Lord, but just a struggle of desiring something to be resolved that's not yet resolved, we would love to pray for you about that. We would love to go with you before the Lord in His presence and pray. Pray that He would sustain you in your waiting, that He would give you the faith to believe that you can trust that He's doing something good while you wait, and that we can pray that God will bring a resolution that as is quick as is good for you. So Father, I ask You today that You would help us to respond to Your Word. I don't trust that I have presented it perfectly, I know that I am imperfect in my presentation, flawed in the way I preach. My trust, though, is in Your promise to use the preaching of Your Word to help people and to use and ensure that Your Word will never return void. So I'm asking you this morning to do that work of making Your Word effective by Your Spirit to our souls. Would You please bring salvation where it is needed? Would You please bring healing and sanctification where it is needed? And God, if today we are suffering through a delay, waiting on You, would You use this Word to reassure us in our hearts that You are sufficient, You are caring, and You will bring peace. And would You, God, see fit even today to use the prayers of Your people for one another to bring encouragement to a heart and even to bring a long-awaited promise to fruition. We love You, Father. We trust You this morning. We ask for Your help as we sing, as we ponder, as we pray. We ask You to come and be with us and move among us. We trust You will do this by Your good Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're not being prayed for or praying for someone, I invite you to stand and sing to the Lord. And if He moves on you to receive prayer or pray for someone, respond to Him. Amen.